We are doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and today we come, the third of these, to peace. Peace is something with a whole variety of meanings, isn't it? And I'm not just talking about the absence of conflict versus bread and jam. And it's not just having no noise after you've said to someone, give us peace. It's much more than that. In that reading from Romans chapter 15 that Lizette read for us, we find Paul following through the argument that he's been making um, in previous chapters that peace is something that God gives us. Twice in these verses, uh, 5 to 13 of that chapter, Paul has inserted a short prayer for the church. He's asked that God may bless them and come to them at verse 5 and again at verse 13. He calls, he calls on God to do something in and something for the church, God to be active on their behalf. Peace with God is possible, you see, because of the work of Jesus. Paul says back in chapter 5 of Romans that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God because of what God has done for us in Christ. Now, too easily people decide that God must like them because, well, we're we're okay because we're likable. I hear non-Christians talk in such a way that shows that though they have no basis for faith in Jesus, and though they don't believe in Him, they at least find find it impossible to let go of the notion of, of some kind of afterlife where things are going okay. And so I hear them saying things like, well, now that they're dead, they'll be reunited with their wife, or that they'll be singing songs together, or they'll be doing playing around at golf together, or whatever. How do people, how can people be so sure about that kind of thing? What makes them think that way? seems to me that that kind of thing is on the level with believing in Santa or fairies at the bottom of your garden. Just what we would like, just what we would wish. And sadly, even for some who believe in God, who think themselves Christians, there's a similar kind of wish basis and and vague assumption that God's going to think they're okay because they think they're okay. Does God really have to like what I like? Does God really have to dislike what I dislike? Does God really have to think the way I think? Surely not. And what the Bible says, and why Jesus came and Jesus himself taught this, is that that's not the case. Yes, God is love, but God is also a holy God and one who detests sin and one who cannot accept the less than pure without denying his own nature, without denying his own self. Now, verse 7 in our reading speaks of our being accepted by Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. But Christ has accepted us not as something that was easy and cheap, But rather out of enormous love, while we were still sinners, He bore our sin. And on that basis that He did that for us, we can have peace with God. Our part is simply to accept that that's the case. The only thing I need to provide for my salvation is the sin that made it necessary in the first place. So my part is to accept that that's the case, 
turn from thinking and that I can do as I please, living to suit myself, turn from thinking that life should be for me and looking after me, and turn to following Jesus and, and putting Him first. That's the repentance and the belief that makes us a Christian. And it's through that, and only through that, that any of us dare may presume that we have peace with God. Christ became a servant, verse 8, to make that possible. But that doesn't mean because He became a servant we are His masters. No, He is Lord. And we only have peace with God. We only have a resolution and a reconciliation when we take God in His terms, and the glory of the gospel is that in His terms, He who loves, cares, and provides for us. And so, peace with God is about God no longer holding our sin against us, but accepting us in and through Christ. And such an acceptance brings peace of mind to us, peace of heart, and peace of conscience. I don't have to worry if I have been good enough every day. Christ forgives. Christ makes new. And if someone has given their life to Christ, then they, and as a follower of Jesus, they, they don't have to be anxious about God's verdict on their life on the last day, on judgment day. If we're in Christ, God receives us. In Christ, we're declared righteous because of God's grace. And having the Holy Spirit in our lives, being led by the Spirit, is an indication of God's acceptance to us, that God has come to be with us. He has come alongside. He wants to have fellowship with us. And so, through His Holy Spirit, verse 13, His presence is with and among us. But we're also given peace with God through, in the sense of being free from panic and anxiety. Verses 8 to 12 of that passage in Romans brings together threads of God promising, of God fulfilling, brings together threads showing that God is sovereign, that He is working His purposes out, and that His plans are coming to fruition. And it's in the light of that that we can say we trust. And so, even though we don't know all the answers to things, we know someone who does. Now, Jesus told His followers not to have their lives filled with anxiety, but to trust, and that in trusting, they would know the peace of God. In verse 13 of our passage, we see that joy and peace come as we trust. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. That is, our joy and peace are not because everything necessarily is going just as we would like it, but because we trust this God who, verses 8 to 12, has been promising, has been working His purposes out, has been bringing His plans to fruition. You see, if life's perfect for me, then I don't need to trust. If everything's ideal, then I have it there. Trust is irrelevant. But when things are not as I would want them to be, when there are questions and struggles and limitations and challenges and threats and so on, the issue is then will I trust? Jesus told His followers that they could trust. He revealed a God who was with us and for us. 
And the alternative to that trust, the alternative to that peace with God by trusting Him, is to be anxious and and worried. And the thing about worry is, worry is pretty much us praying to ourselves. So, if I think, well, I'm going to be worried about such and such a person because they're um, going on a difficult journey. Effectively, what I'm saying is I'm praying to myself that I am going to look after that person on the difficult journey. That's what worry is. I'm I'm saying, Gordon, look after them. Now, who should I pray to? Me or the Lord? That's the issue about trust. That's the issue about, about worry and needless anxiety. Now, just like joy that is mentioned in verse 13, and there's the fruit of the Spirit that we were looking at last week, so too with peace. We can't just simply flick on a switch and turn it on. We can't just do a, well, I was worried and and feeling anxious, but, but now I'm going to make myself feel at peace. Rather, we have to remind ourselves of the bigger picture, remind ourselves of who God is, what His his promises are, remind ourselves of how God has already dealt with the problem of sin by sending His Son to be a sacrifice. Remember who God is in terms of the gift of the Spirit. Remember what it has cost for Christ to accept us. And on that basis, Trust God to be our sufficiency. Now, as well as peace being what God offers and gives in the gospel, and so something that we can and we should have if we're in Christ, peace is also something that we are to live out and to give and to show to the world. And we're going to be thinking of that in a few moments in our service. But for now, I want to pick up that theme of that peace and that trust that God gives. And we're going to do so as we uh, focus in on our next hymn. Our next hymn is When Peace Like a River. And after we've sung this, Heather's going to read from a different book of the Bible, from the book of Genesis.
The fruit of the Spirit is, is not just about how we are within ourselves, but, but also about how we live and how we act in the world. Fruit is to be seen, it's to be shared and enjoyed. Fruit of the Spirit, then, is about our demonstrable behavior, not just the state of our hearts and minds. And so, as well as peace that God has made with us and peace that we can enjoy through being accepted by God, we also are to be people of peace in the sense that we make peace. One of the so-called Beatitudes, one of the sayings of Jesus that we have in Matthew chapter 5, at verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And the passage in Genesis 13 that Heather read there is an example and an illustration to us of the kind of thing that Jesus meant and the kind of thing that we should be excelling in. Now, just as there's the danger of us watering down love, and we looked at the subject of love a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and I was saying that in the current climate and society around us, love so often is just a, a reference to the purely physical um, to what is attractive to us, and that biblical love is something more than that. In a similar way, we can water down the notion of peace. Talk about peace as the absence of conflict or fighting or something. But it's more than that. Imagine, imagine two brothers or maybe two sisters who have grown up the best of, the best of friends now, as grown-ups, they've even gone on holidays together with their respective families. They've been very close, constantly in touch. They told each other everything and no secrets. Then some kind of row has broken out. And the intimate and cozy conversations that they once had have been replaced by in, and, and, and replaced by insults. They've been shouting at each other down the throne and uh, the phone and even shouting at each other across the street. And then the situation settles down. It settled down to one where they no longer trade insults and they simply just try and keep out of each other's way. They're no longer sending each other poison pen letters but they've not started sending each other birthday or Christmas cards and presents. The open and, and vitriolic antagonism that had gone on has been replaced by studied avoidance. Is that peace? Has peace broken out just because the abusive phone calls and the rumor spreading has stopped? No, that's not peace, is it? Peace is more than a mind-your-own-business thing. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who don't rock the boat. Blessed are those who never do anybody any harm. No, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And peacemaking isn't the same as simply staying out of trouble. It is something much more active and something much more engaging. It is a working towards something that is much fuller that is much rounded and, and, and richer than simply not fighting. And as I said, we get a good example of Abraham, uh, Abraham and Abraham in Genesis 13, a, a good example of what it is to be a peacemaker. In this chapter, it was Abraham's Lot and Lot's servants that were initially having a row, in verse 7. They were fighting over grazing land. Now, I suppose Abraham could have 
turned a blind eye. He might have thought things between me and Lot are fine. Let's just pretend this rowing between our servants isn't happening. But pretending nothing is going on is not peacemaking. Or maybe Abraham could have waited for Lot to do something about it. Wait to see if Lot brings the subject up. Well, hoping the other person makes the first move, that's not peacemaking. Another option would have been for Abraham to pull rank. In that society, as the older and as the senior member of the family, he was the uncle of Lot, then he had the right, he had the authority and and the custom of the time to say what was going to happen. Besides, on top of that, Abraham was the one that had been chosen by God. He was the one, back in chapter 12, who'd been given the promises of, and, and was in the purposes of God. So, he was entitled to say, I'm going to sort this out, and I'm going to do it my way. But verse 9, we're told, he let Lot choose. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You choose Lot, and I'll just work around that. For the sake of peace, he didn't ignore the issue. But more than that, for the sake of peace, he gave up his rights, even though the problem wasn't his in the first place. So, Lot chose the bit that looked the plain of Jordan that looked well watered and so on, and and Lot chose the bit that looked best, but hey, that took him into the region of Sodom, and we read in chapter 14 of how he got caught up in conflict, in fact, and how he was taken prisoner. And Abraham didn't say, serves him right. He made that choice. He made his bed. Let him lie in it. Abraham rather went to Lot's rescue at the risk of his own life. And so Lot, in verse 10, could only think of what was of material benefit for him and his flocks. Abraham put a higher priority on peacemaking. Lot was not concerned about how the choices he made would affect his walk with God or his effectiveness in serving God. But Abraham was. And he put that first. Now, I'm supposing that for most of us, the issues today don't include where to let our flocks graze and how we're going to sort that out amongst our relatives. But we have plenty of other opportunities to be blessed as peacemakers rather than avoiding issues between us and someone else. We should be willing to raise them. We should raise them in such a way that makes clear that we are willing to give ground. We are willing to make sacrifices, not wait for the other to do that. We can avoid words and and actions that give misunderstanding and, and division. We could refuse to defend ourselves when things are said and done against us and let God be our vindicator. We could look properly at Jesus' instructions in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, when he says, when there's a dispute among you, and he says, the first thing we do is go and speak to the other person. 
Now, that's quite different from handing in an official complaint. That's quite different from raising something at a meeting. But go and speak to the person first. That's what a peacemaker would do. We should never settle for simply the absence of antagonism. We should be looking for warmth and and fellowship and, and, and pulling together. We can avoid gossip or anything that accentuates the flaws and the faults of others and and anything that takes us further into self-justification. We could stop going over in our minds the way that someone else has let us down or, or said something to us. We could stop rehearsing in our minds how we're going to out-argue that person, how we're going to show them up the next time, and not think of ways in which, well, we're going to make our point. There's lots of things we could do, isn't there, to be peacemakers? There's lots of wrong things we could not do, and lots of right things we could start doing. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are the ones who just don't rock the boat. Blessed are the peacemakers. And peace, we're told, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And peace is something which, as Paul was saying, should be part of the church life, Romans 15. And here we have Abraham going by that principle. Here we have Abraham sticking to his guns, even though it meant that Lot would get the better grazing land. But even better than getting the better grazing land, Abraham was still walking in the ways and in the plans and purposes of God. It's said that the words of the next hymn that we're going to sing, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace, it's said that the words of that hymn were written by Francis of Assisi and Actually, we don't really know. We can't be sure. But it doesn't matter who wrote the words. The shame is that we've sung this before and sung it time and time again before, and yet we're still very much in the foothills. We're still very much at the baby stages of of what it says in terms of seeking to understand rather than being understood, seeking to love rather than be loved, and and so on. And so we finish this sermon with a prayer. But the prayer is the words of the hymn. And as we sing that hymn, may we pray that hymn. And maybe even, why don't you think of keeping a copy of the words, finding a copy of the words and keeping that with you and maybe in your Bible this week so that every day Pray that prayer. Ask God to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life.